Please turn to James. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. I thought preaching James would be a good idea after the book of Romans because it, it provides a very natural balance um, and just, uh, just adds some fullness to the already complete theology that the Apostle Paul presented to us, the, the clear exposition of the gospel. Um, and I'd mentioned that people almost often will set James and Romans or James and Galatians against each other and try to argue that James is proclaiming something other than what the Apostle Paul was proclaiming. Um, the Apostle Paul, the whole message of the, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and every other book he wrote was salvation by grace through faith. And Ephesians says, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. James talks a lot about works. But in fairness, so does Paul. Not as a way of attaining salvation, but as the natural outflow, as the result, as the fruit springing forth from the root. Um, and so these, these uh, men, these apostles, they are not writing their own opinions. They are both writing the thoughts of God. They are both apostles. As men, they are not inspired, but the words that they write were breathed out by God. And there is, when you look closely, there is no contradiction. When I, when I was contemplating doing this series, those were my thoughts. That it would just be, I was thinking abstractly. I was thinking theologically. This would be, this, because, because this is something that you come across where people will try to uh, make salvation either by works or by grace, that it would be worthwhile for us to wrestle through this together. But I was not anticipating the, um, the devastating effects on my own pride and on my own um, opinion of myself that would occur when going through this book. And when I said that it left me feeling a little bit beat up, I wasn't kidding about that. If you read, when you read through the gospel, or the gospel, the letter of James, you will find that it is very law-heavy. It's really um, laying out, it's like the, the last part of Romans. Without, without a real clear explanation of the gospel, it, it's, all, it's all application, and, it's, and there are so many warnings in here, there are so many uh, exhortations to obey the law, to keep the law, and so on. Uh, but when you look at this carefully, there is grace all throughout. And I, I hope that I can adequately bring this forth, from, at least from this portion today. So we're just going to look at verses 19 through 27. So if you wanted to follow along your Bibles, we're in James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like, like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no longer one who forgets, but a doer who acts, no longer no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is righteous and he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You keep reading, and there are so many things. At least, you know, I, I, would, I would think that perhaps I'm a greater sinner than all of you because I was just getting nailed left and right as I went through this. And, and I'm your pastor. It gives me some comfort that Paul wrote Romans chapter 7 about the inability to, to carry out the righteousness of God just by simply wanting to because of this everyday struggle and battle with sin and with the flesh. But I'm just going to go through um, in each little section here and rather than look at you and say, well, this is what you need to do. I'm going to invite each of you to do what the Lord moved me to do and think not in the abstract and not in the collective, but where does this hit me? Where does it hit me right now? Um, it, it is much easier to receive these things when you spread it out or apply it to someone else or to a group. But James is written specifically to agitate and to bring conviction into hearts that are uh, perhaps unappreciative of grace and also maybe even don't even know grace. So the first thing that is dealt with here, in fact, this whole, the theme of this little section here is hearing and doing the word. Not only being those who are, are, who will listen to the word and might even, you know, parse the verbs or, or, and do the theological digging and try to figure out what stuff means. That's all well and good. But if there is no application, if there is no fruit in your life, uh, then that is absolutely pointless as far as growing in grace. It's even more pointless um, when, it, when it comes to salvation because... I mean, there are people who study the Bible. I don't know how they do this, but people who study the Bible their whole life long, and all they want to do is solve little word puzzles and riddles. 
and and uh, you know this this uh, this couldn't have happened because this or that, and I, I would I would throw out the Bible rather than waste the time if I didn't believe it was the Word of God. So first thing he deals with here is uh, anger. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Doesn't anger feel righteous most of the time? When you're angry, you're justifying yourself. I mean, you have got every right to be angry. But it says, it's very blunt here, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It might produce righteousness in your own eyes, but it will not produce the righteousness of God. Now, anger in itself is not sinful. None of our emotions in themselves are sinful. Uh, They are all tainted because of sin, because of the fall. But there are instances in Scripture where people were angry and were certainly not sinful. Um, I believe it's Ezekiel. Said he got up with the hand of with with the hand of the Lord upon him and in fierce anger. When you are angry for God glorifying purposes, when you are angry out of uh, a, a genuine, when your heart is beating together with God's heart in anger against rebellion, against wickedness, that is not sinful. But as James says a little longer, that, uh, later on, that when you go to bed or when you, when you let the sun go down while you're still angry, that is an opportunity for the devil to use it. And I think even righteous anger can turn into unrighteous anger if it is nurtured. Because if that righteous anger lingers and then we begin to uh, augment it with our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own sense of being wronged, that can get ugly really, really fast. So human anger, the anger that comes from within the dark heart of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. And full disclosure, confession, James says at the end of the book here that confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I've been dealing with or not dealing with a lot of anger. It's, it's just that it just keeps coming back. And it comes out of an, uh, a desire to vindicate, a desire to um, defend. And even though, that, even though uh, perhaps that there is a, a core of righteousness there sometimes, man, that is, it, it's been hard. This thing about being slow to speak, slow to anger. For me, it's been, I've had a lot of emails I would have liked to write. And I've written them out, and I haven't sent them. And I'm glad I didn't send them. But um, that wouldn't, because it would not have accomplished the righteousness of God. So I would ask... Some of you will know what I'm talking about if, you, if I've 
if I've uh, shared some things with you, but I would like to ask for your prayers as a, as a congregation that uh, in my anger I would not sin, that I would not cultivate and harbor bitterness. Um, and I have a hunch that maybe some others are dealing with the same. Look at the classification of anger in these verses. The anger does not, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Anger, filthiness, rampant wickedness. That's what happens when anger is left unconfessed and just allowed to rule. And if we're quick to hear, if we're quick to, to, to listen to the other side, if we're quick to listen to Scripture, if, as we discussed last week, if we're, we're willing to receive and not doubt the wisdom of God, which is so clear in His Word, um, that is... That is where the blessing of God is. It isn't in getting our own way or proving ourselves. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving, deceiving yourselves. I said to my wife today, there's just so much in this book that I don't want to do. Just... For a few minutes a day, when the when the Lord's got all of me, I want to do those. I want to I want to obey. But yeah, the uh, the other part of me is it's very stubborn, and that's self deception. When when especially for someone who's preaching and teaching the word to to preach it and and know that it is true and yet not be submitting and not be yielding to it. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. This is a mirror. It's the most accurate, it's a magnifying mirror. And it's got a big light so you can see every pore and every blemish. You can see it all. I was, uh, I, I read a, a quote on, online from a friend of mine that I used to teach school with, and he has gone off into a, a health and wealth heresy. Um, he is, I'm very, very concerned about him. And he rarely quotes anything about the Bible or about Jesus or about the gospel. But he happened to mention this Bible, the Bible, this one time. And I just saw it just before the service today. And he said, if you, uh, you want to know what you look like, don't look in the mirror. Look in the Bible. Then you will find that you're a winner, a winner and that you look great. That's not what James is saying at all. 
one of the uses of the law is as a mirror. And as Christians, when we look into that mirror and we know the image of Christ, we, we, know, we, we know that we are seated with, heavenly, with Christ in heavenly places. We know that he, he has sanctified us. He has set us apart. And we know what he is calling us to be. And we look at ourselves and we see our, ourselves rebelling and we see ourselves angry and we see ourselves um, sinning in, in various ways. Uh, that is, I'm not looking at that mirror and saying I'm a winner. I'm looking at that, at that sin and I'm, I'm seeing how desperately short I'm falling. I'm seeing that this man in the mirror has sinned and fallen short of the, the glory of God. But we're called here to look and not look away. To look, and the, the whole point is of a mirror is when you look in there and there's dirt on your face and your hair's all messed up, that you fix. You fix what's amiss. Now, it's interesting that the mirror is referred, or the, the mirror is a metaphor for the law. But it's not called the law of sin and death here. It's called the law of liberty. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, the only person that can look into the law of liberty is a Christian. The only, that's the only way that the law can be seen as something that represents liberty. The Apostle Paul contrasts the law of sin and death with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There, there is, and and the, the, the standards, the holiness is exactly the same. John talks about a new, writing a new commandment. He says, I'm writing you a new commandment. Yeah, but I'm not really writing you a, com- a commandment, but an old one. See, what's different is the presence of Christ in a life. So when we as Christians, when we look at the law of God, when we look at the righteousness of God revealed on every page of Scripture and His holiness, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, uh, that thrice holy God of Isaiah chapter 6. Um, when, we, when we look into that perfect law and we see ourselves superimposed on that, it should make us sick. It should make us grieve and mourn and wail. Sin is no fun for a Christian. It's an alien object. It's a cancer. It is not part of your new nature. So James is calling us to look into the law of liberty. Well, if it makes you sick, how can it be the law of liberty? Because it is not, a, it, it, this, it, as, a, as a Christian, that law is not there to condemn you. It is there to show you the righteousness of God and to show you what is pleasing to him and to show you what is not pleasing. And as a Christian, you can come any time boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need.
you can plead as, as the, the writer of that prayer did to, for, that Christ would, would even change our hearts and our minds and our twisted thinking and take us out of our selfishness and bring us to the foot of the cross and leave us there. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, in other words, who stays there and faces what reality. And how do you persevere when you're looking at this mess that is you and you're looking in the law of the perfect law? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To turn and linger and allow God's word to do its convicting work. Not conviction unto death, but conviction in the sense that there is restoration. There is desolation as you read through scripture, but there is restoration as we humble ourselves before God. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart this person's religion is worthless now James picks up this theme of the tongue a little bit later on with me it's been more bridling my my fingers on and be, being careful. And I, I would have to say I'm not consistently winning that battle. But let's look at how James describes the tongue. I'm going to start in chapter 3 um, because it talks about, talks about me here and others who handle the word of God. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. There's that word again, able to bridle his whole body. In other words, your body, your, t- uh, your, your tongue, if you don't bridle it, will run rampant and do awful damage. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they can obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whoever will, whoever the will of the, wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, and reptile, and sea creature can be tamed, and it and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so does a spring does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So that's really curious that James tells us in chapter 1, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to tell us, no man can tame the tongue. <laughs> Seems like he's asking us to do something impossible. Do you remember someone else who asked us to do something impossible? Maybe in the Sermon on the Mount somewhere? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is in heaven is perfect. I don't understand the people who think that living by the Sermon on the Mount is how one comes into favor with God because no one will ever live up to that sermon. But when we look outside of ourselves to our Creator, not only to our Creator, but our, to our Redeemer, to the one who has, who has lived perfectly and kept the whole law, and yes, bridled his tongue, when Jesus spoke in anger, it wasn't in sin. When he, when he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers and he called them hypocrites, it wasn't sin. The, the only way that our tongue can be bridled, the only way that our religion can be worth anything is if we are waiting on the Lord, if we are receiving with meekness the word that is implanted in us. And living in the faith that produces these, these results. Then to give some practical examples here of what this religion looks like, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, the widows and orphans... That seems like a doable thing. And, but I, I, I would suggest that um, most, most churches and most Christians fall a little, fall short in these areas. And, you know, there are, if you can look in, in the letters of Paul to Timothy and you can find specific instructions on, on how to care for, for widows and uh, how there's a, such a thing as a worthy widow who, who receives aid from the church, and then one who, do, who basically say, well, you're young, you can work, and plus you're running around town being a busybody, so no, you don't get anything from the collection. You know, there's, there's reasonable ways to do this, um, and scriptural, scriptural mandate for it. But look what he adds on the end here. I think most of us could do the widows and orphans thing because that's a very practical external thing. But to keep ourselves unstained from the world? Weyburn's a good place to, to think about this because sometimes you walk out the door and you're hit by the, the odor of the distillery. <laughs> you can't even walk around without picking up that, that taint on some days. You li we live in this world um, 
this world is, is full of uh, things and sin that will stain us, that will, um, will leave its mark on us. And this is where it's so important that we understand that in the flesh, in our nature, just simply resisting and fighting and, and willing ourselves not to sin or willing ourselves not to look over there or willing ourselves to not uh, participate in this activity. We have zero hope of keeping ourselves untainted from the world. People have tried. They build huge poles and they sat up on top of the poles. What did they do up on top of the poles? They struggle with their lustful thoughts even though they couldn't see anything to lust after. So again, this is, a, this is a supernatural act. That implanted word that it talks about um, in verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness, same concept there, and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When the word of God is within us, and when it is growing, when it has roots, and when it's producing fruit, this is... This is our hope of being pure in this world. It is Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that covers. Our own righteousness on the day of judgment, our own righteousness will only count as filthy rags, as, as worthless. Or Like the Apostle Paul said, everything I've accomplished all of my righteous works are dung. It's a whole pile of dung. That's all it is before God. The righteousness of Christ, the righteousness apart from the law, the righteousness that is imputed and basically placed upon us in that great exchange where our sin was placed upon Christ, that is the righteousness that God desires. And any religion that is lacking that righteousness is worthless. It's, that's exactly the word that is used here, is worthless. Now, James does not, in this passage, he does not bring out all of those concepts that I've just brought out. He does not explicitly bring those out. But you remember what I, I said last week? that we need to look at the Bible not as a library, but as one book. And in certain situations, like here in the book of James, where there's not a lot of context, where there's not a lot of doc doctrinal foundation um, leading up to these, these commandments and these warnings and so forth, um, we don't need to panic. Because when we understand that God's word is one book, where one book seems to identify um, a, certain, a certain aspect and has a, a sort of a, a special emphasis, we can know that it is in sync with the other books. So we, whatever, whatever is missing here in the context, whatever doesn't give us the full picture, we've got 65 other books that are going to shine light in here. And I'm not saying that James is imperfect in any way. It's just that there's a lot more digging to do here to understand. And, and when, the knowledge, when the knowledge is there that this will not 
contradict other scripture because God does not contradict himself, then all of these pieces, they do fit into place. Now, I'm not going to go much further um, today. I, I, let's see, we've got five minutes to 5.30. If I could, if I could end by 5.30, everybody would be happy, right? Um, what I'd like to do is just read through James as we close. And I would like you to realize that there is, there is no middle layer that we need to get rid of in order to apply these things directly right now. There, you, you can't say this is only for these people over here or these people over here. It hits home. And when you process this also through the, either, either you're in the righteousness of Christ and you're trusting in him, or you're not, um, depending which lens you're looking through, it's going to strike you different ways. And I'd like to ask you, are you looking into the perfect law that gives liberty, the, perfect, or the, per, the law of liberty, where, where the law is actually doing its work and saying, you know who you are, you know that you belong to Christ, look at you. You know, like, um, here, here's this, here's this soap, here's, like, clean up. You know, it, it's, or if it strikes you that, man, everything in here, it's, it's just, just oppressive to me. Um, I'll tell you what, you, you've heard, you've heard the word of God through the songs, through the testimonies. And we've given glory to Jesus Christ as the one who saves the unrighteous, who justifies the ungodly. And in order for that law to, to not be the law of sin and death, but to be the law of liberty, it's a matter of trusting in the provision of Christ that has washed away, that, 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 ha, that was shed for the sins of the world, and that washes away every sin of everyone who comes to him in humble faith and repentance. And if you receive that good news, even though you've heard a lot of bad news, you receive that good news, then the law is no longer a burden. It's, it's joyous. It's not grievous anymore because you know that the power of Christ is within you. So we'll read it. Um, I think we, it takes about five minutes. And... I'll just read from where we've, we've left off. I'll read chapters 2 through 5. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith, hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man is wearing a gold, a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you 
and the ones who drag you into court? Are they, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Now that's where that really becomes important. If you're accountable for breaking the law, where are you going to run? Are you going to run to yourself and try to fix it up? Or are you going to run to Jesus? Um, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not mur commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are judged are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the de demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way also uh, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and set them, sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, brothers. I'm just going to, I've read that section already. I've read most of chapter 3, so down to 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in, meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambitions exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrong, wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is 
to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he, made to, he has made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy and to destroy. But you are, who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, he will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosions will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a, man just like, was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, he, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins.
it, it feels heavy when you read it all at once. But remember that the mercy and grace of God are the, are the righteousness that uh, allows us to look into this law and not see it as a thing that will destroy us, but as a thing that, that uh, will set us free in worship to the Lord. Thank you, Father, for, for this passage today and for the, each, each person here, their patient listening to your word. I pray, Father, that uh, as we go from here and as we uh, eat together, Lord, that we would be mindful of, of who you are and, Lord, that we would serve one another with love and without imparti- with impartiality. I pray also that um, as, as these words, um, as they remain in our minds and our hearts, Lord, that you would give us wisdom which, and the humility to receive the word and to respond to it meekly. In Jesus' name, amen.